Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I think I got to a place in my early 20s where I just felt so old and weathered by everything um, and really at a loss as to what to do with my life or where to go. But I guess there were the whisperings then even of that I'd learned something or that I'd discovered something. And uh, I started to explore different careers about working with people. I didn't even really know what that meant for me at that point. And I read an explanation about what being a therapist was. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and this week I'm going to be chatting to Emmy Brunner. She's a psychotherapist and trauma expert who founded the Recover Clinic. I'm going to be chatting to her about how we can put the past behind us and about her new ebook, Trauma Redefined. I had various mental health problems as a young person, um, but I wasn't really aware. I didn't have a dialogue for that and I didn't know that I had mental health problems. I thought I was just a bit messed up you know or a bit weird or just found life a little bit more difficult um and was told a lot that I was just very sensitive um and I hear a lot of my clients talk about themselves like that now that they're just a bit sensitive and actually what that means is that we feel things very deeply um and they're not really validated when people tell us that we're just being sensitive um and that was very much the the truth for me and I think what I experience was declining mental health because I just simply didn't have the tools or the resources to cope with what was going on for me. Um, And it wasn't until I got into therapy 
and began to read. I read everything and sort of started to really seek out answers myself that things started to make a bit more sense. And I started to get a bit more context for my own experience. And I think that for most people is so healing when you start to be able to just get a bit of psychoeducation and get some context around your experiences and why things are happening to you. It's suddenly not just you being weird it's you not being very well and this is the symptoms of that this is what that looks like Mm. so when you were younger how did those things manifest I think in like various eating disorder behaviors self-harm behaviors and just sort of trauma responses so I just found it really difficult to build and maintain nurturing relationships with people I'd really attract damaging situations to me and then just not have the tools to cope with them Um, and repetitive cycles that just left me feeling sort of very shame-based and incapable really of moving forward and I think the longer those experiences go on the more you feel despondent the more you feel negative about yourself and it just sort of chips away your your self-esteem and your confidence until you're left in a place where you just think well there's nowhere to go from here and I think that's so true for a lot of the people that I've worked with just reaching what's commonly called like a rock bottom yeah what kind of treatment did you receive yourself or did you? Not very much, not very much. I was at university. I managed to go and see the local university counselling service. Uh, so a really sweet woman who was kind to me, but looking back now, just clinically just not equipped to deal with what I was going through and certainly didn't have the explanations for me about what I needed to hear about what I was going through. And then nothing until much, much later. And I turned to the NHS. I I tried to have different counselling interventions in line with the different crises that I was going through, but nothing very consistent. And I think what I've learned more than anything is that healing comes with consistency and relationship. And sort of six-week, 12-week interventions just don't provide that for anybody um having some it's almost worse in a way actually having something really quite intense that suddenly dropped um can be tri- quite traumatic within itself i feel how did your own experiences then um in terms of mental health issues and also the the treatment you received uh, then affect your own career choices i think i got to a place in my early 20s where i just felt so old and weathered by everything um and really at a loss as to what to do with my life or where to go but i guess there were the whisperings then even of that I'd learned something or that I'd discovered something. And uh, I started to explore different careers about working with people. I didn't even really know what that meant for me at that point. And I read an explanation about what being a therapist was. And I thought, wouldn't that be nice to be able to work with people and listen and just be there? And what would that look like? And the big ambition at the time was, wouldn't it be great if I had a private practice, which is hilarious to me now, given how everything's sort of uh, played down my career um because it's so wildly different from that quite humble ambition to where I've ended up but that was the big dream yeah and so I started going to back to university and retraining and doing all of that and I started that when I was about 22 which is quite young for a therapist a lot of therapists come to the field um as second careers uh, where they've gone through life changes and things and I guess I went through all of that at quite a young age, so it didn't seem so strange to me at the time. And what was what struck you when you were having your training um, as being 
not quite right to you because you've you've you're slightly different to some other therapists mm. aren't you um what aspects did you think did you want to change for yourself for your own practice I think one of the things that I really struggled with is when you're training you're taught these sort of primary core conditions which are to be congruent to have unconditional positive regard and empathy um, but in the same breath, we were told that we couldn't share anything about ourselves, that I had to present myself in a very opaque way and to not offer anything up beyond what the client was sharing with me. And there was something that kind of really clashed with this idea of congruence for me. How can I be congruent if I can't show up and dress how I want to dress or present myself how I want to present myself um, or to share with a client how I'm experiencing them or even to share things about my own journey that I think might be helpful. Um, and I did a lot more reading uh, about different clinical approaches um, and I stumbled across a therapist who has written quite a lot called Irvin Yalom about how his most kind of poignant clinical interventions were when he shared moments of kindness or tenderness with his clients. So nothing basically clever and clinical, just showing up as being a human being, willing to sit with another human being in a dark place. Um, and that just struck me as so simplistic and poignant, but also something so many people weren't doing. It was very much, where's your 50 minutes, clock on, clock off, um, see you next week. Um, and we withhold so much of ourselves with people who are bearing everything to us. And the whole purpose is it's about them. It's our job to be there for them in that moment. And that's so true for me. But that doesn't begin and end with a 50-minute session. Um, and I'd started working in uh, an inpatient at that point. And I saw how a lot of the people were being treated clinically in the clinical approach. But I also saw the relapse rates were sky high and people weren't getting better and to me I just thought there has to be another way so what then led you to decide to set up the recover clinic was that sort of a fairly instant response uh no the recover clinic's a little bit of an accident so I left working in residential treatment. I found the whole environment working in residential treatment really quite traumatic myself. I felt there was a lot of unwell people. The whole environment just felt very toxic. And I left and I started just doing a private practice, just seeing clients one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and then I realized that actually one of the benefits of bringing people together is any sort of community is really healing. So I started to run groups. Um, one group became two groups, became three, became me hiring another therapist and cut to where we are now 15 years later next year. And the clinic sort of came out somewhere in the middle of all of that, uh, a bit of a happy accident. So who in particular do you help? We help women, um, women with anxiety, depression, eating disorders, um, and unprocessed trauma, essentially. My sort of perspective on most mental health conditions is that the root causes unprocessed trauma is behind it. And I think there's a very small percentage of people who have psychiatric conditions that are just bad luck, you know, that, that are going to have to manage those for the rest of their lives. I think that's a very small percentage of people. I think the majority of people have unprocessed trauma and then struggling to manage the symptoms of that trauma. But they end up with diagnoses like personality disorders or anxiety disorders, 
you know, um, compulsivity disorders and, and actually what's being described to me there are the symptoms of that problem rather than the problem itself. And over the years, I've developed a program where the more we work with getting in relationship with the person and figuring out what their story is and kind of rewriting that script that they've been living, then things begin to shift and people heal and, you know, get better. I think it's a real myth if you've had mental health problems, it's something you're going to have to manage for the rest of your life. I think if you've been through that experience, it's something you're always going to be mindful of. Just because you've learned that if you've recovered, then you need to look after yourself. It's just a good way of living. Uh, but yeah, I think people can completely heal. Can you tell me more about the um, the programs themselves that you run there? Yeah, I mean, every individual is treated as exactly that, as an individual. So when somebody comes in for an assessment, I'm far less interested in the clinical diagnosis that they may have been given previously or the set of their symptoms as I am, who they are, what's worked for them in the past, what hasn't worked for them. Some people come in and they're extremely cerebral. They're really good at talking, but they're less good at really connecting creatively. And for some people, it's the opposite. And I feel that my job is to think about that person and what they're going to need as a, you know, as an individual, rather than just having a blanket approach that we apply to everybody that comes through the door. How does that compare to the kind of treatment people get on the NHS? Because it sounds pretty different. It's it's pretty different. I mean, we've got the benefit of having the resources to be able to apply that approach. But I feel that what we haven't become is bogged down in processes and policies. So we have our policies to keep everybody safe and to make sure that we function. But we have maintained that the client is at the heart of all we do. We're also not corporately owned we don't have any private investment we're a family-run organization and I think that has changed the feel of the clinic also because the focus has always been the relationship uh, with the client and also with one another the team are extremely nurturing with one another and I think you feel that when you come into the building or you connect with us that it feels different and it's something I think could be replicated um, in the NHS, it would be cheaper to treat people in the way that we do because they maintain long-term recovery, far less pharmaceutical interventions, far less psychiatric interventions. And it's more of a collaboration with an individual rather than somebody being terrified and trying to drag them through a treatment that they're frightened of and resistant to. It's much more of a process that we walk together. Um you mentioned the NHS there already. Are there any other sort of things that you think should be changed about the way the NHS treats, say, eating disorders? Because I know you have sort of slightly different approaches. Yeah. I think there's a still um, a, a huge emphasis on the, a medical model when it comes to eating disorders. So you either don't get help unless you're a certain weight or unless you're in some sort of medically unstable you know, place. And even then, it's about minimising symptoms and sending somebody on their way. We already know that this isn't successful. And just like somebody suffering with anxiety, just like somebody suffering with an eating disorder is people want to be seen and heard. And if you don't 
do that, then people remain really entrenched in these very unwell behaviours, either as a way of coping with life, because that's all an eating disorder really is. It's a set of very destructive coping strategies. And if you don't teach people new strategies, then it's going to be almost impossible to let go of those, because whether we like them or not, they're serving that person a purpose in some way or another. And so I think as soon as you put somebody who is uh, an eating disorder sufferer in an inpatient unit and try and prize that strategy away from them, it can be really terrifying, actually. As soon as you start working collaboratively with the person, they stop protecting the illness. And that's when I think change can happen. This is a bit of a tricky question, um, but... Obviously, not everyone can afford private treatment, the sort of treatment that you offer. And there are lots of people sort of on waiting lists, sort of in that gap between sort of, you know, being ill, not being ill enough to sort of get immediate treatment. Mm. Are there any sort of self-help steps that you think people can take during that time? Yeah, I think we live in a state which really fuels a kind of sense of feeling disempowered when it comes to our mental health. And I think it's so sad and unfortunate that the current government is minimizing mental health resources for people and that if you try and get a bed in an NHS mental health unit you're going to end up in a private hospital because they've all got external contracts now there is still room there for you to become self-empowered and be curious about your own experience and I think so many of us feel helpless and then want to hand over that power to people that we feel can rescue us and actually when we start to become a bit empowered and feel as though we can rescue ourselves I'm not saying that's a you know an, an amazing alternative to help but it's something um, you know most of us have got access to literature most of us have got access to online resources and there's an awful lot Um, out there that can help create shifts for people one of the things that I offer on my Instagram TV channel is a Q&A so we get a lot of questions coming in about general mental health questions and specific circumstances that people are struggling with um, and we answer as many as we can on that platform and the reason that we do that is to try and get the help to people that need it. It's one of the reasons that I was motivated to release the ebook on trauma that I've just released, which is called Trauma Redefined. And that is about explaining to people what trauma is, what I mean when I talk about trauma and how they can get a sense of their own experience and then mobilize change. So it's, it's the point of it is to be empowering for people. I'm glad you mentioned the book because that was my next question. Let's talk about trauma. Um, First Mm -hmm. of all, what is it and what kind of thing most frequently do you find triggers it? I mean, trauma is something that we've all experienced. And I think for so many people, when you talk about trauma, people imagine post-traumatic stress disorder. So wars, natural disasters, like massive catastrophic events. And actually trauma is something that we all experience. Um, It can be a bereavement. It could be a divorce. It can be moving to a new area as a a young person. It could be anything. Um, It can also be abusive relationships. And a lot of us don't immediately think of those things when we think about trauma. And yet they're things that we're all dealing with. What's important about trauma is that some of us have the resources to deal with it and some of us don't. Or some of us have resources, they're just extremely destructive. Um, And I think that what's important is to consider what our life journey has been, what those experiences that we've been through have, have been and how they may have impacted upon us. Um, and then think about whether 
we need some support to process things that perhaps we've become stuck with or held on to. On a very sort of, is it a sort of a practical level? How can we go about resolving it? So like for the listeners, I mean. Do you know what? I think one of the things that's so important that people don't realise is people don't know that they've got trauma. So when you explain to somebody that actually it's understandable that they might feel really fearful in a certain situation because of X, Y, Z, they kind of go, huh. I never realised that or I never thought about that. To them, they just get really anxious. And actually, when you unpick that anxiety and unpick the situations that it's being triggered in, it's often reminiscent of another experience that they may have had. And simply by highlighting that to a person, they can feel extreme comfort from that because to them, they were somebody that just had anxiety and just had to try and manage it or medicate it. And actually, suddenly they become somebody who's just being triggered. And they understand that. And it's quite empowering to be in that state when you realise what's happening to you. Because I think one of the things with anxiety in particular, it feels so out of control for people and so all-encompassing and terrifying that soon as you give somebody some tools where they begin to feel a bit empowered and informed about what's happening to them, it just gets a little bit better. So I think there's a really strong argument for considering what your life experiences have been and how they're impacting you. Tell me more about your ebook that you mentioned, Trauma Redefined. I think the book is is kind of a first step for a lot of people. And it was written very much with people in mind who perhaps haven't experienced therapy or that this is a new idea to them. Um, and one of the things that I talk about in the ebook is about life scripts in particular, which is something that I'm, you know, feel very passionately about and I think is important for all of us to to get a grip on, which is essentially that we're all living a script. Um, a script which is a story that we have about who we are and what we're capable of and what happens to us. So when we talk, so many of us will say, oh, I'm not very good at that, or I'm a bit lazy, or I'm a bit this, or I'm a bit that. And you unpick where those core beliefs come from. And they're often from uh, inherited from primary caregivers or the results of a trauma that occurred in uh, formative years. You can often kind of trace back a lot of those life scripts. And then when you look at all of those life scripts and you think about where they've come from, you realize how much they're dictating all of your choices that you're making, all of the relationships you're seeking out. Why do we have the same relationships with people over and over again? Yeah, it's not an accident. There's a script there that we're following, which is these are the people that I'm going to seek out. This is the experience that I'm going to have. And so we unconsciously seek out people and experiences that are going to replicate that core belief that we already have. But that starts with us doesn't start externally it starts within us and so if we recognize that some of those scripts that we have that we're running our lives to are unhelpful to us then we can begin to rewrite them and we can begin to question why do I have why am I doing that why do I believe that where did that come from does that even belong to me I believe that about myself but do I believe that about any other human being on the planet no well, then where does that come from? And we start to get curious. I always say to my clients, be curious about why you do the things you do. Where does it come from? Because once you do that, you can start to change the dialogue that you have with yourself. And I think that so many of us, when we do that, that's when shift is possible and change is possible. Sounds really fascinating and also quite a big, long process as well. Because it's, and also not necessarily just the sort of, 
explain the parents type of approach that you sort of associate yeah. with Freud. Yeah. Because it sounds like these sort of things can be triggered by sort of all kinds of things. Like Absolutely. Yeah. And I think blame is, is an unhelpful state to be in because there's where do you go with that? I think when you start to understand a script, even when we recognise that we've maybe inherited unhelpful things from parents, you know, with your example in mind, we can start to think about what their story might have been too. And we begin to look at maybe a legacy of an unhelpful script that's been inherited throughout generations. And we can consider then whether we want to continue to replicate that or change something. And it becomes not just about blaming a person. It becomes about looking at something much more systemic that's been dysfunctional and unhelpful to everybody involved. Um, And that we can all benefit from you healing that wound yourself. What sort of response have you had so far to the ebook? Is it just out? Is that right? It's just out. Yeah. Um, We just promote it on Instagram and through the site and it's, yeah, it's selling amazingly. Um, I think our expectations for it were were quite small, but I think as soon as you hit a nerve with people, then people connect, don't they? And I guess that's what's happening with the book. You've got a really decent following on Instagram, I noticed as well. And um, you sort of put out quite a lot of positive things. And obviously, Mm. more recently, you've got sort of things about the book. Um, What kind of interactions do you have with them? Do you find that they message you loads? Is it a fairly sort of heavy weight load and workload in that sense? Yeah, it's a very reactive um, group of people. Um, They're generally uh, women between about 18 and 34. And we get a lot of direct questions. And some of them will be really direct uh, questions about their personal circumstances and some will be much more general, um, mental health issues. And some people just want advice about where to go and how to get help. And maybe they've tried to speak to the GP. Maybe they've, you know, spoken to a teacher at school and just not got anywhere. Yeah. So part of it is just trying to respond to as many of those questions as we have. And that's why the social media platforms are really important, I feel, because they are an opportunity for people who perhaps wouldn't reach out to immediately connect with a qualified clinician who's in a position to give them some advice and guidance. Hmm. And presumably that's when you sort of create your videos as well, when you're getting sort of questions coming up again and again, Yeah, then you can address them. Yeah. So we tend to collate um, things that become very repetitive. So when we see like themes coming up, then we'll do a big video on a certain topic. So we've just done one on trauma, actually, because we've got so many questions in about what trauma is. So we did a very basic Q&A on what trauma is. Um, and it's that actually has been one of the most popular videos we've ever done. And I think because people want to be informed um, and want to feel empowered about their own experiences, and this is speaking to them. In terms of your own experience of um, mental ill health, um, how do you feel sort of these days? Like, do you feel like your own trauma, is it completely resolved or is it sort of a journey for everyone? Um, I think probably it is a journey, but I wouldn't say that that means it's not completely resolved. I have to, I'd say it's it's processed, but I think that my sense of my own mental well-being is always going to be something that's in the forefront of my mind, particularly because of my job. I feel like I've got a responsibility to take care of myself, not just because of my own kids and my own personal commitments, but because of the role I play in so many people's lives in providing treatment solutions for them. Um, and I have a responsibility to make sure that I'm mentally well. 
to do that. So I'm very mindful of that and take a, a you know a lot of care of myself. But I still recognise I can be triggered by things or find certain like family situations challenging, just like everybody can. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you offer at the clinic? Yeah, so as you mentioned, the the clinic is a private service, but we do offer a number of subsidised rates to families who perhaps can't afford full fees. So if there is anybody out there who is struggling and just needs advice, then we offer a free advice line and we will give you all of the resources that are available to us and to you in your area. Um, But there also is a possibility that you may be able to access help even if you thought you couldn't. So when we are able to, we will work with families families um, and individuals try and find solutions for them. If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116 123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.